0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 220. And I'd like to give a shout out to my husband, Steve, who's the producer of this podcast. Because he doesn't show up on the video like i do or on the audio so shout out to steve siegel the producer of this podcast if you have a story that you would like to tell about your involvement with helping to solve the addiction problem or if you are a recovered addict yourself and would like to tell your story please reach out to us we have a facebook group the addiction podcast point of no return we have an email the addiction podcast at yahoo.com and we have a website, theaddictionpodcast.com. So feel free to reach out to us if you have a story you would like to share with our listeners. Today's episode is going to be an interview with a gentleman that we interviewed way back probably in the first year that we were podcasting back in 2017. And he is a recovered addict who gives back in quite a unique way. Unique to a lot of the people or unique from I guess would be the right way to say it uh, From a lot of the people that we interview on the podcast while many of them give back and help others He does it in kind this guy does it in kind of a unique way. His name is Brandon Jordan Brandon Jordan has been a professional musician all of his adult life. He founded the infamous punk band kill radio Columbia records in 2002 and toured the world with bands like green day, my chemical romance and rise against until his drug addiction made performing impossible. He got treatment with the support of music cares in 2007 and has been sober for more than a decade. Now Brandon brings the power of music to those in need through rock to recovery. He also engages in solo music projects and plays with the Rock to Recovery band Sacred Sons. I cut out a little bit of his bio because I don't want to give too much away. So without further ado, let's talk to Brandon Jordan. Brandon Jordan, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Loved you when you were on before and I'm glad you are willing to tell your story again for us.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: Absolutely. So, Brandon, tell us, tell our listeners, how did you get started on drugs? What's your backstory there?
1: Um, my backstory with drinking and using, um, I I, uh, I, said it before in the other podcast, I think it's worth mentioning, um, you know, drugs and alcohol are a big part of my story, but a big part of my family's story. As well. Um, so, you know, my grandfather was a drug dealer and he was in Greenwich Village and he was selling stuff to, you know, um, Peter, Paul and Mary and, and, uh, Bob Dylan. And, uh, he was a a quite a strange character, had a dark past. And I actually never met him because of that. Um, fast forward a little bit, you know, he got my dad hooked when he was, uh, around 14. So my dad, um, got hooked on heroin around 14 because my grandfather actually, um, used him as a, uh, uh, as a drug buddy. And, uh, so without, you know, telling that part of the story, you wouldn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. My part of the story, some of it. And, um, so my my dad um you know uh, unfortunately passed away from a heroin overdose when I was 4 years old. Um uh you know I, it, it's um and and I want to tell some people the the gory kind of details of his death. Um cuz I specifically like telling the 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 details of his death because it might help somebody else out and in helping somebody else out it will actually – it actually gives my dad's death more purpose. Um, yep. and, it, and it gives it um, – it h- helps me make sense of it. Um, so he left treatment a little bit too early because he wanted to, you know, be closer with me. He was missing out on his life, and he left treatment too early. And um, decided to leave with uh, some people from the treatment – facility and he wanted to go use one more time and we know the story he went to go use one more time and he didn't know how right he was he overdosed in the back of a car and that car instead of taking him to a hospital took him and dumped him in a lawn and made a phone anonymous phone call to a family member and said your son's dying on a lawn and left you know so those are the people we kind of run with when we uh we make these connections sometimes, and we don't realize that they're very temporary. So he died um, in a lawn um, without somebody taking him to the hospital. And, um, you know, so I was I was left fatherless at the age of four. Oh. I, I, I also want to say as a, as a recovered, you know, addict and everything like that, you know, uh, I, and it's, it, there's a deep sadness and grief that I, I deal with on a daily basis In fact, becoming a father myself, I've had to deal with it more often, you know, it's actually come up. But there is a bright side of my dad dying when I was four years old. And I want to say is that I have a lot of friends who, who have addicts for fathers or mothers who are continually wounded by those parents over and over and over again through the decades. And so the bright side of my dad dying when I was 4 years old is he left a huge wound that I've spent the life a lifetime trying to, you know, heal from, but it doesn't get rewounded by him. And uh, I just want to say that in recovery, we can have these tragic things happen and we can still find a way to balance out a way to find positivity in there because there are some people I know who had, you know, who have had their father or their mother in their life for a really, really long time, and have more memories, but they also have more bad memories too, and they have more wounds. So, you know, um, so I tell this story uh, different ways on different days, depending on how I feel, you know. But I miss him. Uh, he loved me. He died at the age of 27, like uh, the 27 Club, like you know, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain. Jimi Hendrix, all that, the 27 club. And uh, you know, he did leave treatment too early and he missed out on the next, you know, 36 years of my life, you know. Uh, and
0: meeting your son,
1: he doesn't know he has two grandchildren?
0: Yep. And
1: yep. uh, you know, for those people and sometimes in treatment, you know, I get it, you get treatment fatigue. And You're like, oh, man, we got to say the serenity prayer one more time. I'm going to, you know, and, and you know that, you know, the drill and you just want to get out of there. But I've never really heard anybody share the opposite. You know, like, hey, I got out of treatment like, you know, one week too late. You know, I had to stay one week too long and it screwed up my life. You know, I've never heard that story. I've heard the opposite.
0: Good point. Yeah, very, very good point. And, and, you know, I, I, I remember one of the uh, people that we spoke to on the podcast, a young man, who um kind of went the other way, you know, with just wanting to do that last big high and went the way your dad did, and he died. And it's just, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a new story that we hear. I don't, I don't, you know, Anyway, sorry, I I digress. Go ahead with your story. (laughs)
1: It it, it is tragically normal, you know. So a long story short is I come from a long line of drug addicts and alcoholics, and there is recovery on both sides of my family. And so because of that, I actually didn't use drugs and alcohol for a super, super, super long time. I kind of knew there was already a thing in me. And we moved around a lot as a kid. So I would kind of find the troublemaker kids and then we would move, you know, like I would <laughs> find equal, you know, partners that wanted to get into trouble and then I would move. So I, I was kind of spared, you know, going down the rabbit hole at a young age. And I didn't use drugs or alcohol until I was probably like 19 or 20. And I want to say that that uh, was around a lot of people who were drinking and doing drugs, and when I started drinking and using, I kind of went from zero to psycho. Um, I, within three weeks, people are like, wow, you party way too much. And previously, they were like, man, you you got to loosen up a little bit and party with us. And three weeks later, they're like, we can't party with you. And so, you know, that makes me believe that there's something inside of me that gets turned on. And, and, and... The part of me that gets turned on by the drugs and the alcohol is a, is, is, a, is a thing that I can't choose to turn off once it's turned on. And I've lost the power of choice. And I understand on the outside, the people around me, around my addiction, thought I looked like the same person. And by all, you know, um, they're right. And if I was pulled over by the police or they you know, I matched my ID but on the inside they don't realize that we are we have been uh hijacked. We have been hijacked in a, in a lot of different ways. So, um you know the- I'm
0: going to stop you for a second cuz I think you made a make a really good point and I also like that you bring up the fact that you lose the power of choice because so often we've talked about this before, people who are around someone who is addicted, they go, "Why can't he or she just stop?" And the point is that once addicted because you're talking physical mental spiritual you don't have that choice anymore
1: yeah and it's really and i understand it's really frustrating for the other people because we look like the same person you know and yep. and um and it's really frustrating it's really frustrating on the inside too because you know i i get addicted and 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 um you know, I look like the same person, but I'm hurting the people I love the most. So it seems like I don't love them. So it's really frustrating because I'm like, man, I, I'm hurting the people I love the most. I make promises and I can't keep the promises. You know, and the most frustrating thing I want to say about my alcoholism—I don't want to speak for everybody else—but my alcoholism, my disease, is—is a—is a. Is a um, this is a technical term. It's—it's a, it's a motherfucker okay uh, uh it, and and this is what it does this is what it does i wake up in the morning and i want to change and it says brandon you can change man you know the difference between right and wrong you were raised better you know you're hurt you're not just hurting your yourself you're hurting other people and other people are suffering because of this and and you know you can change, okay, and you got this, and you're strong enough, and you've been raised smart enough, and you have it, okay, and you can transform your life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start tomorrow because, you know, you got that thing later on today, and you're going to be really stressed out, and, you know, I mean, you, you, you stepped on that grape in the fridge, and you know, like, you know, earlier, and, and but you got this shit, but I need you to start tomorrow. You can't start today. Today is not the day. And we start the manana plan. I I call it the manana plan. I'm gonna change tomorrow and see how subtle of a quote unquote motherfucker it is. It yep. Me. I am strong enough. I just have to start tomorrow. And those tomorrows start piling up until I I stop even lying to myself. I crossed that line. You you guys the um
0: point of no
1: return that (laughs) point of no return the point of no return is when i just stop lying to myself that's one one point of no return i'm like i wake up in the morning i'm like today i got this i'm like shut up dude you don't have shit and you know um
0: you're gonna and today is gonna be like yesterday and you're and i'm gonna use and there you go and i'm I'm done
1: lying to myself you know um i know i know i'm not playing a game anymore the game has got me and typically, hopefully, that is kind of the tra- trajectory to like treatment or a fellowship or hopefully I do not have this because I'm done lying to myself. I, and there's some worth in not lying to yourself anymore, you know, like you, yep. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to be sober today, you know, right? and slip up. I just don't give a fuck anymore. You know, I've lost yes. all hope. And so one of my points of, of no return, um, and I tell my story in, in not a logical, I mean not a, not a um, sequential linear, a linear uh, uh, um, uh, storyline or anything like that. Um, and I'm sorry about that. It's hard it's it's hard to talk about your life, especially on these podcasts, but I will uh try and fill in the details. But the point of no return for me there was a couple, but um the one that really, really jumps out is when my mom called me who had buried her husband, you know, and uh called her only son. I'm an only child from Los Angeles, native, you know, filling in some of the details, I guess. And she asked me, um, "I'm not calling to ask you uh, or to give you any sort of advice on how to live your life or anything like that. I've accepted how you're living." And she asked me, "Would you like to be buried or cremated when I get the phone call that you're going?"
0: Oh my! Oh, I'm a mom. That's a, that's. Oh wow!
1: Yeah, and but but here's the cold blooded part about it, Joni she didn't she did she was not like crying right it was
0: a fact right it was a that's what makes me sad that it was a fact that that was something she needed to know to plan on because you're going down that road you're gonna die so what would you like me to do after you die yeah that's what makes me sad
1: (laughs) it was it was it was a a, it was a um it was just a it, it was just a form to fill out like, dude, I, I need to get this information from you before I get the phone call. And that was a pretty huge wake-up call. I got clean and sober 3 weeks later. Um, but the also the point of no return, man, listen, there there's 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 programs out there. I got involved um with uh, with um through needle exchange, they offered me to go to a place called Tarzana Treatment Center out here. And okay. I detoxed on a county bed, and then they sent me to a county rehab facility called Acton, um, which is one of the largest. It's actually being shut down right now, so it's 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 being shut down next month. But it's one of the third largest uh, rehab facilities in the world, I think. I forget all the stats on it, but at one point in time, it was the largest rehab facility in the world. Um, like in like the 50s or 60s. This was 300 people in the woods, and they put me up in the winter. My sobriety date is ten fifteen oh seven. So if you do the math, that's a little over thirteen years of sobriety. Wow. Which officially makes me an expert on nothing. I'm not a saint. I'm not a guru. I'm not an angel. I want to be clear. Like my sobriety date, it does not make me a saint, a guru, or an angel. I'm literally somebody who wants to put his head on the pillow tonight and be proud of his behavior. That's job number 1, you know. And when yeah. I'm in recovery, I can put my head on the pillow and be proud of my behavior. But so, um the county of Los Angeles and its taxpayers and its taxpayers paid for me to detox. They paid for me to live for 3 months out in the woods, uh, kind of the desert, deserty kind of woods, um for free. And so it, it's, it's kind of public health care right there. Um, public, public funds that really, really put me up and put me in a safe place. And, um, it's, it's really sad to see that place go because at that point in time, I had nowhere else to go. That was,
0: Seriously. What are they going to do with people who need that kind of treatment if it's closed down?
1: Uh, that's a great question. I don't, I just found out that, that Acton is closing and there's another, there was another uh, program called Warm Springs. That was specifically just for males, and then the the acting was um, was ed So it's it's closing down. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But uh, if you're a taxpayer of Los Angeles County, thank you for being part of my recovery. Um, you know, and listen, I can you know, I can forget that. I can forget that moment where it took somebody from needle exchange and Tarzana treatment center to be able to say, Hey, listen, I could get you a County bed if you want to get help, you know, and then mixed with that moment and what my mom said, you know, and I had a little, a bit of recovery to realize, you know, I just like, if I go from sober to trying to manage it, I just, I can't, I don't know how to manage it guys. I really don't like, the most honest probably thing you're probably going to hear me say to today. I really like getting high. I do. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I I don't, I don't remember. I do not remember what I had for lunch yesterday. Um, I remember exactly what I was wearing and who mm-hmm. I was with and what the weather was like the last time I got high. And that was 13 and a half years ago. Like I'm wired mm-hmm. to remember that shit, right? Yep. I like getting high. Mm hmm. Um, am not going to lie about that, but um, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. I was going somewhere with that. What is? It, what was I saying? Well,
0: I, well, let me just interrupt for just a second. Um, were you were you already like a rock musician when all of this happened, and you went to the Tarzana Treatment Center, and then ended up in Acton?
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I
0: mean, what my my blunt question is: Didn't you have money to be able to afford? to go somewhere else there there's my blunt question
1: uh i didn't i didn't because uh, i wasn't a successful musician um uh-huh. uh, on the outside uh i i you know i signed a million dollar a close to a million dollar record contract but that doesn't mean you necessarily get that money you know that's right um, and as with with Columbia Records, my band is called Kill Radio. We have refounded or reconnected in my sobriety, and next year we will be going on twenty years of being a band.
0: Wow, that's fabulous, Brandon.
1: It'll be our twenty year anniversary next year, and we oh, all cool. still like each other
0: um, well, even a, better <laughs> a
1: direct result of recovery. I will tell you that much
0: but, so so we so but you were like a performing musician when you had to go into treatment, right?
1: Um the band had broken up like 6 months earlier. Okay. Yeah. So there was a lot of finger pointing, a lot of bad blood. Um and like you know friendships have been frayed you know when you're sleeping when you're sleeping next to, that's what this is what they don't tell you about in MTV when you grow up on MTV and you want to be a rock star when you're sleeping next to your friend in a van smelling his farts for like nine months of the year man does it hurt your friendship because afterwards like I just don't want to see you for a decade God bless you.
0: Awesome. But you did just say you guys are still friends. So. Yes, we
1: are. Yes, yes. We got the <laughs> chance. We got a chance to do that, to reconnect. But I'm telling you, that's because of recovery. And that's because I went, had to go back to some of my friends who I played music with and, like, you know, make amends and be like, wow, right. I really was a jackass, you know? And, uh, but, you know, Kill Radio had some success. We were poised. To, to make it into that stratosphere there's a difference between popular and famous and we 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 went into the popular zone and you can be popular yeah. and not make a cent nowadays because if you most most of people listening to the podcast i want to ask you what's the last album you bought and you'll say okay. oh, i just stream it and i'll tell you that's that's why i had no money when i uh, went huh. to Yep. yep the industry, for better or for worse, you know, there's a great music coming out, but but the industry, for better or for worse, you know, you know, it's not the it's not the right way to to, to make money as it was back in the day, you know. Right. And we yep. were signed to a record company. We were not independent at that point. We were signed to Columbia Records. They didn't want to put out the second record, and you know, in in falls everything, you know. Right. So um, so right. I feel like. I kind of feel like a guy who was like on the Lakers for like two or three years, but he rode the bench. You know what I mean? I was not a starter. I was in. The, I was. I've opened up for you know really big bands like My Chemical Romance and 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 Rise Against. We were in the political punk rock world and Coheed and Cambria, and um, we even played a show with uh, Green Day once. They have really wow. cool experiences I can talk about. But we were the guys at the very, very end of the bench, you know, that just, that, you know, we don't need you on the team anymore. You know, you lose the you lose the record company, you lose the manager, you lose the booking agent. And then it's just four dudes kind of like left out in the woods and you're 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 um, damaged goods in the eyes of the of the industry. And um, and then, you know, what you know, what's going to make that pain go away? Yes. Calling, calling that dude and just feeling like you're somebody else for a couple hours. Yep. And they sold my drug dealers sold me an escape from the from the um from the disappointment of my record company dropping me and my friendships and my creativity um dwindling. You know, and wow. they sold me an escape from that.
0: You are listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So, so you went, you said something a little bit earlier, and I'm gonna say this very, very well done on 13 years plus being sober, because I know that it is not easy to do that. And I think you said something like, okay, so once you're done with treatment, then what? Like what, what then has to happen, you know, to keep you sober and help you in your recovery? What did you find after that?
1: Well, I went into a fellowship and I found some people who I trusted and who really, really helped me create a routine in my life. Um, okay. and they showed me, they showed me, they gave me a, an opportunity to have a routine. Um, and you know, in Los Angeles, you know, it was very, very easy to find fellowships or a fellowship to get a part of. There were very cool, creative people as part of that, and I connected with them. And um, I want to say the fellowship I personally joined, you know, I mean, it wasn't whether people liked me or not. It was whether I was willing to ask for help. And to this point, like I, I'm still part of that fellowship and those people, I help people all the time out that I don't, I don't, that are strangers. I don't even know if I like them or dislike them, but I'm just willing to help them. And I know there was people out there that helped me that didn't even like me you, because, um, there's kind of a primary purpose once you get a, a part of these kind of fellowships. And it's like, we put aside all the other differences and we try and help, um, that individual who's struggling put their head on the pillow at night and be sober. And all and the prime and the power behind that sort of primary purpose because there's so many things dividing us. Um, the power in that primary purpose. I've just seen. Um, I've seen people that cannot get along on any issue other than that one, still focus on that issue and set aside everything else. Um, it's really that's huge really
0: that's huge but that's what that's the way you have to approach it is it doesn't matter what color you are what you know what your religion is or what kind of music you like to listen to what matters is you need to be clean and sober and how can I help you do that
1: exactly exactly the power the power in, in, in that is has transformed more lives than I can think you know Yep. and that's you know because some of these fellowships have traditions you know it's, they're not they're not um, you know they're not as structured as you think you know because you know you can come and go as you want, but they do have some traditions and one of the traditions is like do we, uh, we have a primary purpose and we're not here to talk about any of that other stuff you know
0: right right
1: so that, so what you said is what to do after treatment is I, I, I didn't do it alone and right. I, and I have a crew of of, of a bunch of people. In my first year of sobriety, um, I reached out to people and I got vulnerable and I asked for help. And those people had experience because they had asked other people for help. So they were willing to show me how they were given help. And to this day on my phone, I can call at least five or six people that were at um, the first couple meetings I went to. Um, uh, and those, those people... To this day, if I told them I needed their help and I was in a bad place, they would drive to my house immediately and drop what they were doing to help me out because they, A, they know how hard I work for this thing and how important it is to me, and they know how sick I am. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. They know how sick I am and how dark I can take it. So um, those people are very important to me.
0: Absolutely how brandon how did you find rock to recovery
1: um rock you- to recovery well i'll give the the th- rock to recovery is a company that was started on 12 12 12 by my good friend wesley gear formerly of corn and head p.e. in the uh you know in the rock and roll world those are huge 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 names now he wanted to give back and um create a a different musical experience for people in treatment. He wanted to put instruments in people's hands and um, play music as a band. And typically music therapy is a little bit more about talking about music and the effects. And it's, and there's still a middleman and rock to recovery was about cutting out the middleman and getting people to play music non-musicians, and musicians to play music and get the healing transformative power of playing music into treatment, okay? Um, And he started that all on his own. um, You know, uh, I think the first sessions were actually in 2013 um, down in Orange County. And uh, the the, the other thing I just want to say about what Rock to Recovery does is like we involve people with the power of music, we we don't want people to be impressed with the power of music. We want them to be involved with the power of music. Just like I don't want people to be impressed with my recovery. I want them to be involved in their own.
0: Good point. You know, very good point. Yeah. So yeah.
1: So we cut out the middleman. So Wes comes from band background, and he's putting together these mini va- bands in garages and in treatment centers all over and and we create bands and write songs with non-musicians and musicians in every single session. So once it took off, what is he going to do? He's going to start reaching out to other guys in bands, you know? And he reached out to... And
0: did friend. you know him before?
1: I did not. I did not know him. Okay. No. Okay. And he reached out to my friend Sonny Mayo who's been in some huge bands, um Snot, ugly kid joe and um seven dust and he reached out to my friend sunny mayo who then reached out to me and said you two should meet each other and we met each other and i st- and, you know he trained me and showed me what what the unique thing that he was doing and teaching non-musicians how to play music you know in a very very fun 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 way and i started doing it um in 2014 and I've been doing it ever since. I can say I've probably written over 5,000 songs in the last wow. six or seven years. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And I, I like the whole concept of Rock to Recovery. You know, we've had Wes on the podcast a couple of times and it you're right, it's different. It's not like using music or, or like art or something like that as therapy. It's more getting involved in it and getting immersed in it. And doing it yourself, which I think, which is huge, it gets it gets into the whole creativity aspect of it. And when you when you think about it, to you know maintain your sobriety and your life and recovery, you got to get kind of creative about it.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely, you're right, Joni. And it's the it's the action of playing the music, not the talking about what's cool about music and, and
0: exactly music or is, just listening to it.
1: Yeah, music is very healing, you know. Um, and the thing is, whether you're a musician or a non-musician, it fires off more brain activity than almost anything else you can do in life. Number one top dog. You can go check Dr. Google on me on that one. <laughs> um, it lets go serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. And those three chemicals, you know, help connect neural pathways. And I think here's one thing I want to say about Rock to Recovery. We've tapped into something that people already know, but they're, they didn't realize they already knew it. We're reminding people of some stuff that they already know. For instance, my mom is not a musician. Um, but I've seen her before. We're listening to a song and she looks down and her toe is tapping on the ground. And she's like, damn, that is my toe. But I don't remember telling my toe to tap to the beat. and it happens to me all the time i mean the world's most famous drummer i think is the two thumbs on the on the on the um, on the steering wheel you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and there Mm -hmm. are a million and one a billion drummers out there in the world when they're stuck in traffic or whatever you find the groove and you're like i mean these are the this is the most famous drummer in the world and um I think what that proves is people instinctually, in their bodies, on a primal level, your body knows music is good for you, and your body knows music is something to involve yourself with, not to impress yourself, to involve yourself with. And so if you've ever had that moment where you're involuntarily tapping to the beat or humming all of a sudden, your body is reminding you, this is a good thing, Yep. No.
0: And I would also say that music is a wavelength, to a great degree, and that that wavelength is not too dissimilar from the human soul. Just saying. So there's that going on as well.
1: Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm yeah. I'm into that.
0: How did you get? I know that you have been um, helping, doing the same type of music. I don't want to say therapy, but doing the same kind of music recovery, if you will, with veterans. How did, how did that come about? Cause they're not necessarily recovering addicts. I mean, it might be, but.
1: Yeah. Well, I would say just, just to piggyback on what you say, I would say what we're doing in these sessions is we're team building and moving energy and we're writing Good. songs. You yeah. Know, there's those three things. We're writing songs, we're moving energy and we are team building. Um, because again, that that's what that music at the center allows us to do that, um, uh, and then we're allowing people to actually create feel good medicine in their brains. The you know those feel good chemicals that I mentioned <laughs> before yep. uh, you mentioned that I've been I've been working at the VA hospital specifically in the VA hospital for five years, but for the last year it's been on Zoom. Um, Every everybody knows why. Um, uh, um I don't know the stats. I think we've written close to 300 songs um wow. with veterans at the VA hospital in Brentwood. And specifically, you know, I've worked with some people you know who were homeless in the bushes uh over 5 years ago. Into-
0: How did that work? How do you work with someone homeless in the bush? Tell that story. Well, they,
1: they they were homeless in the bush, and then they check into the VA hospital. Oh, okay. To detox.
0: I was gonna say you weren't in the bush with them writing the music. No, no the- there's no.
1: Okay, well, okay. when it comes to playing music, there's no electricity in the bush. Um, but good point. <laughs> inside the building, once they once they check into the building, you know they're detoxing. They're coming off of of whatever substance they're using. And we would get together every single Friday night, and we'd start writing these songs. And we just left the door open because it was at night. We could just leave the door open, and the music would drift out into the hallway. Mm-hmm. And you just start to see these people. It's like kind of like a field of dreams kind of thing. You know, we put up some flyers and whatnot, and we work at a lot of different veteran centers and at, at a couple different um, VA hospitals. But this was the first one we did and at the VA hospital, and people just started floating in every Friday night. <laughs> and um, to this day, I've been doing sessions with some of the same guys for over five years, and that some of those guys that were living in the bush who are homeless have come into the group, stayed clean and sober, have written all these songs together. We have a personal relationship. And I've seen them go from being homeless in the bush to now getting custody of their children back, having uh, a permanent, you know, residence where their mail is sent to. Um, they're honorable people in our recovery community as well as in their in their veteran community, and to the transformative, um, they've transformed their life from being homeless, yeah. to having the court say you are. You are of sound body and mind to have your children back, you know?
0: Wow, that's huge, Brandon, because you have you said you have two kids.
1: I do have two kids. Yeah.
0: How old are your kids?
1: My son, Vale, is three years old, and my daughter, Arrow, is six weeks old.
0: Oh, congratulations I didn't know i i you know I knew you had a son because I've seen it on social media, but I didn't know about your daughter.
1: Yeah, she doesn't post that much on uh, social media yet, you know.
0: She'll, okay. You, okay. Well, she, she will. Not that She has
1: arms and a thumb and a hand <laughs> and all that, you know. <laughs> cutie pie. Yeah. And shout That's out to awesome. my wife for being a superhero. My wife is the superhero right now. Be-
0: Absolutely. Two little ones like that. Yes, I can relate. I raised two boys. Yes. Uh-huh. How long have you been married, Brandon?
1: Uh, Five years. Okay. Five cool. years.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Brandon, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. And it is such a great no holds barred story. And I think also that some of the ways you put it, I think is going to resonate with our listeners, whether it's an addict or whether it's a loved one of an addict. Um, I just think it's going to resonate with people. And I really appreciate that you're willing to share, you know, the down and dirty and the not so pretty parts. Mm. How how do people get a hold of you through, or how do they contact Rock to Recovery? How does how does that happen? How do they do that?
1: There's a couple different ways you can contact me. I mean, I'm on Instagram at at um, at Brandon Jordan La. Um, you can find me there or on Facebook. You can find Rock to Recovery at Rock to Recovery. That's T O Recovery, not the number, but at Rock to Recovery. Um, we're also on Facebook uh org, and then one exciting thing I failed to mention is we as rock to recovery have written a book and it is coming out in August.
0: Oh wow. Yes,
1: there's so much to talk about. Yes, um and and the book is coming out in August. It was just finished with our our um our PhD Constance Scharf as well as Wes. Uh they co-wrote the book and there's 18 stories in there. Um I think, uh, six of them are musicians, 12 of them are non-musicians, uh, they're all personal stories. It will be in, um, bookstores on audiobook, and you can get it whenever. And that's- Do you a- know the title?
0: Does it have a title yet?
1: It's called Rock to Recovery.
0: Oh, yeah. okay.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, Led Zeppelin called the first four records Led Zeppelin, you know? First <laughs> first uh, and, um, it just talks about how music heals across all spectrums and different aspects, and uh, you know it, it is very it, it is very inspirational and it's very true. You know, some people don't realize in Rock to Recovery we have thirteen guys uploading over five hundred songs a month. We were writing five hundred songs a month as a as a company, but one we've we lost one of our one of our um, musicians uh, to overdose
0: uh, about, oh, about I'm so sorry. two and a
1: half years ago. His name is Christian Heldman, and he, he, you know, he had a, a secret and he did not, um, he held on to that secret a little bit too close and he, he overdosed and we get to tell his story in there, how many people he helped, but he was still hurting himself. So yeah. we tell, we, we tell the whole spectrum of the story, the light, the dark, um, everything that's going on. And, uh, I, th- I think people will uh, have a, a great understanding of what we do um, because of that and, and to be able to tell the, the stories. Because, yeah. you know, I have these amazing stories I can tell you, right? Um, that uh, uh, can't be told because of a HIPAA violation. Right. I have a ton of stories I can tell you that would land me in prison and then my 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 children and my wife would be at the end of the freeway exit asking for money. So I can't tell you all those stories, and that's why we kind of made the book so people can understand what we've been doing in these um in these medical centers.
0: That's awesome. Well if you will keep me posted or Steve posted on when the book is going to be published, we will for sure you know, mention it in our weekly email. Cause obviously this interview will go up way before August. And so we send out an email every week and I would be more than happy to include, you know, the book and the link to buy the book when it comes out.
1: Johnny, we'd um, appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Oh, absolutely. Oh, I had a question and I completely forgot. Oh, nope. never mind. Sorry. I have to cut all this out. I can't remember what I was going to ask you, but thank you. Thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us today and being willing to share your story.
1: I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast for a second time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and hopefully we'll have the other guys from Rock to Recovery talking about the book when it comes up. Uh, that'll be in August uh, when it's published. So we, we should uh, have another conversation.
0: The- I think so. We could have more than I. I mean, I love just having you on, and I love just having Wes on. But we could have a group of you on. I think that would be cool.
1: Yeah, I think that would be fun. Uh, at least, at least our doctor, uh, Constant Sharf, uh, and and Wes, because they wrote the book, and um, but I, they actually used a picture of me performing on the front cover, and they did say I should I should try to throw that out there. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> From one of our Rock to Recovery concerts, and what what some people don't know is Rock to Recovery actually throws some of the largest sober um, music events in the world, and we've been throwing That's it right. a single year, not last year, of course. But our uh, our concert is coming up on September fifteenth, assuming you know everything goes according to plans. And so um, the picture on the the book is actually of yours truly jumping off a um, a drum set. I I have quite a a, a way of performing. Uh, my last name is Jordan, so I like to get air when I'm on stage. And uh, man, I look so cool on this front cover. I, I gotta say humbly, I look so cool on this front cover because I'm jumping off something, and and somebody. You, you, I it, I just look like I'm soaring in the air, and it's such a cool shot that this photographer got. Thank you for shooting it um and it was just it was a no-brainer i think to use it for the front cover
0: i love it i remembered what i wanted to ask you you mentioned that there are uh, hundreds of songs being uploaded where do they get uploaded to is there a youtube channel or are they just on the rock to recover website
1: that is a great question it gets uploaded to soundcloud which oh, okay. also which is also linked on our website page you can okay find perfect music and most importantly, the people in our sessions who write the music can then access their songs and they listen to them while they're in treatment when they're in the druggie buggy driving to wherever they're going. They listen to their own songs, you know what I mean? And and yep. that gives them a sense of um, uh, accomplishment and completion that a lot of people haven't had in a long time. A lot of people have started a lot of things. But we give them an opportunity to feel, uh, to listen to the song, and it gives them a sense of, like, I hit a mini little finish line, you know? And so they've put in the sweat, so they should be able to see the benefits of it.
0: I think that's huge. Yeah, so
1: soundcloud.com, as well as there's an app called SoundCloud.
0: Perfect. Thank you again, Brandon. I I just, I love your story. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it, because I I know it's going to resonate.
1: Thank you, Joni. Thank you so much.
0: I hope that you got something out of that interview. I know that I did, even though we had Brandon on the podcast before, he said a lot more in depth about his own recovery. I just wanted to let you know that Rock to Recovery actually operates pretty much up and down the West Coast. They have a group in Washington, Oregon, Northern California, Southern California, San Diego, and they also have an organization in Nashville. The whole concept of the manana plan, I will just start tomorrow. It's huge and I hope that it resonates with someone and my message to you is don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. Whether it's you getting into treatment or you getting a loved one into treatment. That manana plan is never gonna work. Do it today. We'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the addiction podcast point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.